Hello, and welcome to Talky Talk, the podcast for the media by us. My name is Brent. I'm here today with Chris. Hello. And TJ. Yo. And we're going to be talking about the things we've been watching, and then we're going to follow it up with some news. And finally, we're going to tell you what to go see at the movie theater this weekend, you mindless robot you. <laughs> I thought you were going to get way A little harsh, but <laughs> I was pleased. <laughs> Um, I like it when you're mean. You mindless fucks. <laughs> so <laughs> Insult uh, the fans we do have. <laughs> drive them all away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we can just back down to single digits. That's what we want. Record these and launch them into space. <laughs> for, those, for those of you listening to <laughs> With the, the weird, like, Carl Sagan, <laughs> naked people holding hands just etched onto some iPhone. <laughs> yeah. For the people listening for the first time, we're always this mean. <laughs> um... Yeah, so uh, why don't we shake things up? I'll go first this time around. That's cool. unusual. Because uh, I don't have very much to talk about. Here, a minute and seven seconds into this uh, podcast, I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good time for me. Seamless. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what have I been watching? I've uh, watched a few movies, but I don't really want to talk about most of them. I watched some, uh, some real... I went to some dark places this week. I've been working on a, a project, uh, and whenever I need breaks, or sometimes while working on the project, I'll just put something on. So I'm not going to talk about the black hole of cinema that is Agent Cody Banks. Oh my <laughs> god! By the way, that movie's awful, really awful. Yeah, uh, but I, uh, would, I would guess that. I've seen the intro. Like even he for like kids. a skateboard. Yeah, he's like an agent from the get go, right? Yeah, he's a he's a he's a trained agent. Yeah. Um, Alright, well, that's enough of that. The villain, uh, the only thing that's remarkable about the movie is, late in the movie, the villain says, You messed up my haircut! See? See? And that's like, uh, that's an example of how that entire movie is. That's that's the quality of dialogue you get in that movie. Cool. I thought you were going to say that was the best part. I'm kind of <laughs> interested. Yeah. Uh, I did watch uh, 54. You ever seen 54? Uh, is that the old Studio 54 movie? Or is that Studio 54? <laughs> So I don't know what what do you mean by old. This is 20, 20 years old or so. Yes, late nineties. Yeah, this has uh, Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell. Okay. Um, Ryan Philippe. Felipe. Felipe. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, Ryan Philippe is in the movie. Um, it's not very good. It's not very good. But I will say, weirdly, Mike Myers as the guy who owns the studio fifty four. Yeah. Is it's a pretty decent dramatic performance for him. He's just unfortunately stuck in a movie that has absolutely nothing interesting going on in it. Just a bunch of cocaine and sex, right? Yeah, it's pretty much it. I think 13-year-old me like liked that movie. I'd say, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, no, really, the only movie I, I want to talk about is, uh, you know, I listen to other movie podcasts, and uh, one is Film Spotting. They're doing a marathon of John Cassavetti's movies right now, and I'd never seen one before. So I decided to watch one. I uh, watched a 1968 movie called Faces, which is uh, it's a it's a it is a tough watch. It's a very good movie, but it's uh, it's about suburbanite couple who uh, he's uh, he runs a small successful business, but okay. um, so basically enough for them to live very comfortably, but not so much that he's impressive to people from the city. Okay. Uh, and uh, they basically, it starts off with them talking about their friends, making fun of their friends, and then uh, 
they are laughing and drinking together one night at home, and then he just, out of the blue, just says, I want a divorce. And so it shifts like that, too. Uh, which kind of sets the tone for the whole movie. The whole movie is... The rest of the movie basically consists of the two of them kind of going off, and they just go their separate ways that one night, and they're yeah. like, we'll deal with this later. And she goes off with friends to, like, a club, and... Um, hangs out with them. He goes with a couple of, uh, he goes to a prostitute's house where like a high class prostitute and, uh, where she has friends over and they're partying at her place. And, uh, the whole movie consists of scenes where it's sort of people who are trying to fill voids in their life with like partying, laughing, like trying to have fun yeah. to, but it's mostly really sad people. And then those scenes kind of the they all have that same quality as that opening scene where like the joy will just halt at a certain point and then it erupts into like honesty and honest anger, I would I would call it. And so it's an uncomfortable movie at times because you just kinda never quite know when the scene is gonna turn. Mm. But uh phenomenally acted, really, really well acted. Don't really know how I feel about the movie as a whole, but the performances are outstanding. Nice. So, I recommend it. Um, it's the first movie where Cassavetes had, like, he had money on his own, so he was just like, I'll just make this movie. It's shot on 16 millimeter. Okay. So it's, like, <laughs> Weird. black and white, grainy. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's really well done. I'd recommend it. I, I, I haven't seen anything else by that director, but he's one that I've heard of over yeah. the years. And, What's it on? It is on Canopy. Okay. Right now. So, is that it your is. first test run of Canopy? It is not, but it's uh, I think only my second. I don't remember what the first thing I watched on there was, but, but uh, good enough. Yeah. Nice. So it's uh, I recommend it if it's it's a good intro. It's one of his earliest movies, and I think it's seen as his first like auteur movie. Like it's his first movie that's an expression of what he wants to do, rather than just right. working for someone else. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, that's about it for movies, and uh, the only. Uh, other thing that I watched was uh, watched a new Netflix series that I believe we are all going to talk about. It was the only thing I watched. I watched Russian Doll. Nice. It came yeah. out close to a month. It's been out for a little while now. Yeah. A few weeks. Yeah, Kelly and I watched it like three weeks ago. I think we were in the throes of Oscar talk, so I didn't want to like... You know, we didn't really have a regular watch list. So right. just kind of <clears throat> sunk beneath the place. What? Yeah. <laughs> nope, that's it. Did y'all watch all of it? Yeah. Um, so, what do y'all think about Russian Doll? It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like it too. It's. I, I think it might quite fall. It, it just just barely falls short of me being like going up to people and just being like, "Have you seen Russian Doll yet?" You've yeah, I wouldn't call it like Doll. great or amazing. Well, I call it great. I wouldn't yeah. call it like incredible though. I will say, if you if you have ever liked Natasha Leon and literally anything you've ever seen her in, which, if you don't know the name, she's probably best known for being the uh, the kind of feisty redhead from American Pie that is not Allison Hannigan. Tara Reid's, like, best buddy. Yeah. And if you're not, and if that's not your generation and your younger generation, uh, you would know her. She's the heroin addict on Orange is the New Black. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Forgot and, all about and that. And if you're older, she was, I think, but I'm a cheerleader was like a huge indie film in the mid nineties. Yeah. She was young. Um but she's she is fantastic. Yeah. This is it is, this it is, is a lot of Natasha Leone. Yeah. 
And that's so not a bad di- thing. So if you dislike Natasha Leone, do not watch this. <laughs> then it would be a bad thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I definitely, um, definitely recommend the movie, or the show. Feels like a movie. I kind of watch it as one. Yeah. One, like, three-hour sitting got me through all the episodes. It's only eight yeah. episodes. You can, you can watch the They're whole series in three hours. Like, 25 to 35 minutes long. Yeah. yeah. They, uh... One thing I thought it did that I was impressed by that it, it shifted tone a ton. And mm-hmm. that's really hard to execute. Right. And it didn't seem like I mean I laughed and I cried and I was scared and it was actiony at times. Yeah. But they did a really good job of blending it didn't feel like they didn't know what they were trying to do. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And if you're unaware, it's it's Natasha Leone plays that's a good uh, call. <laughs> I would to do that. She has a Russian name. What is it? Uh, Similar. It's Nadia, right? Nadia. Nadia. Yeah. So she plays Nadia, a woman who is celebrating her 37th birthday. 36th. 36th birthday. Um, uh, and It was uh, a big thing with the mom. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Is, that was coincidentally the age that her mom died. And uh, she had always vowed to never grow older than 36. So, on the night of her birthday, she is hit by a car, and then comes to uh, back in the bathroom at the beginning of her birthday party again, and is destined to relive uh, the events after her 36th birthday, Um, but it's always precipitated by her death. And not like, not Groundhog Day style as much, where it's like, that night, she can go a day or two. Yeah. And does a couple times. Yeah, she goes like a few weeks one time. She's just easy. Death finds her easier than right. most. There's a hilarious bit with the staircase leading away from the party. Yeah. Where no matter what she does, every time she tries to walk down it, like right after her, the she comes back to, uh, she's killed in some unfortunate accident trying to just walk downstairs. My favorite is the one where she gets everybody at the top of the stairs who typically kill her yeah. accidentally. She gets them all to like move away, and then as she's like slowly backing down the stairs, she's like, or she's going down the stairs. She looks back to make sure they're staying at their distance, and some person from the bottom on their phone like bumps into her. She trips. Yeah, dies it's again. The, it's the guy yeah. who kills her in that one. The the douchebag boyfriend uh, right. her. Yeah, um, and you know without getting too far into the you know into the plot, she does discover that there's more to this sort of uh, situation than just her situation. It is well beyond just her. Yeah, and and I think... In multiple levels. Yeah, and I think that... And I I don't care if we're not trying to do spoilers and that's what you guys are trying to dodge, but I'll do one from, like, episode two or three. She does find out that there's another guy who's having the exact (coughs) same thing happen to him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that is what makes this uh, so fun and so unique is that they are almost literal opposites mm-hmm. oh, yeah. in how they've lived their life up until this point. Because they go through the pretty typical Groundhog Day, like, well, I need to change my life for the better, or I need to reconcile this, or now I need to like live my life the way that I wasn't before. Now and I get to just say whatever I want to to all the people I've always wanted to say it to. Right. Whatever. You know? it, right. It's cool that there's another variable. Um, and they actually, so she's a, a game programmer, and that part's a little eye-rolly. But she's a game programmer. It's a minor plot point, um, but so she's kind of looking at this like like a like a program, and she she you know has theories of why this is happening. Thinks there's like a bug in the program or something, but so she's 
the, the experimentation they do with the, the two person reliving every day uh, is fun because they're like, all right, well, you be the constant and I'm going to change things. Right. And then let me know if anything that happened to you was different. Them comparing their deaths every reset was really funny. Yeah. They'd come up and be like, gas explosion. They'd be like, gas explosion. <laughs> <laughs> It was really good. Yeah, it's like gas. Natural gas is really dangerous. <laughs> the video game thing, one thing I thought was interesting is when he was talking shit about the first game she ever developed. And he was like, you made one character have to do everything by herself. It's impossible. And I was like, foreshadowing. <laughs> I, was also, I was also like, every fucking game ever. Yeah. Like, they're, not every game, but there are right. tons of games where that Who is the case. Who would ever complain about that aspect of a game? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he doesn't reach out to all of his friends and loved ones and solve the problem. It's like, wait, no, he didn't, that that's not. This is just Sonic all over again. Yeah, <laughs> and it took us about three minutes to start shitting on the thing. Like, <laughs> no, well, that, that's not perfect. Funny. Yeah. That that sub that sub point is my biggest complaint. But that's only ten minutes of one episode. But well, like, and it's it's a little like it's a little on the nose too, where it's just like, oh well, she's now kind of stuck in a video game type thing, where she has to right. she has to figure out how to beat the, yeah. the level, yeah. or otherwise she goes back to the beginning of the level each right. time. So That's back to like our third podcast or whatever. Yeah, it's another TV show that plays like a video live game. die repeat. But there there's there's the the more funny video game thing where they're like, there's a bug in your code now that now the guy can't run and she goes here I fixed it I fixed the one bug and now he can run like normal it's like <laughs> I don't know if they really talk to anyone who programs video games they're also like I don't know <laughs> sure also, it's so relevant to the to the right, show right. that I'm just like it's just a quick little way to be like she's really good at her job yeah yeah <laughs> the it's got a, a real fun character in the show whose name is Horse and he plays a Homeless guy who seems to know more than anybody else about the situation. I mean, he never says that explicitly, but you feel like he's enlightened in some way, maybe. Yeah, but it could also be. I, mean, I think <coughs> Natasha Leon says that he's got junkie wisdom. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where it's like he just he just might be the kind of character who is just stoned and just like says crazy shit. And the, then when that starts applying, you go, holy shit, you're right. There's an article on Polygon. I meant to have the author's name pulled up, but you can check it out. It's all on the character horse. And uh, I know Brent read it too, but compared him to Pan in mythology. And I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah. Just like crazy guy who doesn't really, he's not in charge of anything, but he's kind of like the constant, you know, especially. He can see what's happening, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. At least they're like that something's wrong. Maybe not that she's waking up every day, but like she is and he is. Yeah. Kind of out of the loop. And the pan reference is really good with the end of the show when he doesn't go like evil or bad, but the whole like, we got one back with his drug buddies or whatever. Yeah. He's not like a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's kind of just like an agent of chaos almost. Right. Like chaotic yeah. neutral. Yeah. But I laughed so hard when he proposed to him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. A thousand times yes. This is the homeless guy saying that shit. It was great. Uh, how did you guys like? We I, I won't spoil this part. How did you guys like the parallel episode, where there was the same scene being portrayed at the same time on two different, kind of like Five Hundred Days of Summer style? Oh, uh, well, not for like the whole episode, but yeah, where it did that a good bit. Uh, it doesn't bug me. I mean, that's one of those things that can like be easily used and annoy the shit out of me. Yeah. Um, but we're done about the conclusion. Uh, I think so. I think it's the episode before. It's the penultimate episode. It does the same thing that happens at the very, very end, though. Yeah. With the split screen. Okay. 
Yeah, but I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, like, fun. Of all the times and places of movies to, to, to use it. It's when they realize what they have to do. At the very end of the seventh episode. Okay. Yeah. When they realize well, that they're saving each other. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I liked it. It's a... It's it's a it's a good show for because it is it is easily digestible. I think and it's not a show that's heavy. Like you 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 don't you don't have to think about all these things while you're watching it. No, it's it's a show that is very it is entertaining enough on its surface for anybody to I think enjoy watching it. And then it's also fun for people like us who want to just keep thinking about it and delve into you know. Oh, I mean, I got. Deep into it, and but it doesn't require it. You're right. Yeah, right. On, on the surface, it, it basically tells you like not to, like it doesn't it doesn't go out of its way. I mean, the, the, <clears throat> what you would normally do in a movie that is like got this weird science fiction element that like is the water cooler kind of conversation is what Nadia is trying to figure out. Right. So like you can do your digging into like what's happening, why is, why is it happening, who knows about it, like are there other people that this is happening to. Or you can watch a show, figure not like watch Nadia figure it out or not figure it out, and you'll have all the answers that you know the showrunners wanted you to have. Yeah, uh, compared to something like First Reformed, which I'm not com- saying one is better quality than the other. I honestly think First Reformed is better, but uh, First Reformed is not a movie that you can just watch for yeah for the, the ride for the story yeah. and then just yeah. put it down and be done with it and enjoy it. Fun is not a word I use to describe First Reform, but it is the word I use to describe talking about First Reform. Yes, whereas this is the this is uh, fun for both. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, both you can just. I would recommend this to anybody. Yeah, you could watch it like Groundhog Day, or you can do what I did, which was like pausing it and being like, "Purple, the seventh chakra, and she's wearing red, and all her friends are wearing blue." <laughs> that was me. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to do that. Uh, and if you don't know or or you don't like Harry Nilsson. Once you are done watching the series, you will love Harry Nelson. <laughs> I can't get enough of that song. I want to listen to it all the time. It's now. a good song. I want to set it as my alarm, so that when I wake up in the morning, that's playing. So yeah. I can have that moment every day of like, wait. Although I never have that because every day I feel older. But <laughs> <coughs> good talk. Yeah. Uh, but that, yeah, that's it for me. <clears throat> that's it for me. Nice. Well, now it's time for me to talk. Uh, I've really been watching two TV shows. Uh, both of them are ongoing, so, you know, it is what it is. Uh, the first of which is a show that came out a while ago, um, starring Jeff Daniels, and it is on Hulu, and it's, uh, Looming Tower. Hmm. Heard good things. What's that about? It's really good. It's, so it's about the, um, the... CIA and FBI investigations into Al-Qaeda in the lead-up to 9-11. Right. And simultaneously, it, it takes place during the 9-11 commission uh, and testimony by the main players. Um, it's got two phenomenal leads. Jeff Daniels plays uh, John O'Neill, who was head of the New York field office. Um, and he was the guy, right? He was, well... Yeah, I mean, there were like 15 guys. He was the one who like wrote the famous... One that got overlooked, right? Right. He he was the person who who in I'm not in, at that episode, but I know what happened. So right. this is going to be a spoiler to Kelly, who I'm not sure knows because <laughs> she was like ten at the time, right? But um, or seven at the time. It starts in '98, so right. Um, he's the guy who wrote like Al Qaeda is a credible threat. They're going to hijack planes and gave it to Dick Clark, 
Yeah. Richard Clark, that person. Yes. Uh, not the <laughs> New Year's Rock and Eve. This time on American Bandstand. Uh, and, and they decided that, you know, it wasn't a real threat. Um, but so, yeah, Jeff Daniels plays him. And then uh, Peter Sarsgaard uh, plays uh, the head of Alex Station, which was the name of the office they had for the group that was investigating Al Qaeda. Um, he plays uh, John Murray, I think. Uh, I forget his, his that that guy's name, uh, but it's mostly it's probably a, the way the government wants it. Well, so far, it I mean, yes, it is about nine eleven and the lead up to the hijacking, but it's more about the formation and unification of the intelligence agencies, because the major plot point is the discord between uh, Sarsgaard and Daniel's character, uh-huh. um, to the point where like. They're highlighting the two FBI agents in Alex Station, you know, the CIA station, uh, and how the CIA and Sarsgaard's character uh, was basically like locking the FBI out. Um, so it was like lack of communication or a decision to not communicate? A decision to not communicate. Okay. And so you get to see lots of great, like if you love Jeff Daniels in Newsroom, it's like enraged Jeff Daniels and Jeff Daniels enraged at process, which is like some of the best parts of newsroom. Oh yeah. Is him like grandstanding about that. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, the CIA thought that the FBI was just going to arrest low level people and their goal was to take in low level people, interrogate them so that they could get information to find, uh, Osama bin Laden. Okay. Even before nine 11. Hmm. So, it's really interesting. Uh, it would have been a better time. Yeah, to find him. <laughs> um, it is, it, and it also is is shot from from the perspective of like high level Al Qaeda operatives, uh, which is interesting. Hmm. Uh, not from their like point of view, but it kind of like takes right. you into meetings that you know are theorized to have happened. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a neat show. I'm about six episodes in. I think it's a ten episode run. The uh, first it's season. been on my radar since it came out. It's on Hulu. Hulu, yeah, it's a Hulu original, right? Yep, Hulu yeah. original. Um, and, uh, our guy, uh, not Ben Mendelsohn, um... Terry No Terry. No. <laughs> Although I fucking heard something about Terry No Terry. I'll, I'll mention that later. Uh, but the, uh, um, the guy who was in Shape of Water, who played the, the scientist who got shot by Michael Shannon at the end. Uh, Stuhlbarg. Stuhlbarg. Michael Stuhlbarg plays, uh, Richard Clark also. Huh. So, I say the two leads, but it's really the three leads. And then there's a, a newer, newish actor who plays... Uh, the eighth ever uh, FBI agent who spoke Arabic. So that's where we were, we were at in 1998, where this guy, whose character name is Ali Sufan, was the eighth ever uh, agent who spoke Arabic. I remember in high school, the like when the DOD would come and pull the like nine of us that did well on those tests or whatever out, and they'd be like, "If you want to get a job with us, learn Arabic." Oh yeah, when I was in college, it was you know it was like it's like immediate government job. If if you major in Arabic, we'll pay for your college and you'll have a job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Looming Tower is really good. I recommend it. You know, I'm not all the way through it. I'll have another report, another, uh, yeah, I might start that up. A Looming Tower commission report, uh, when I'm done. It's kind of interesting with something like that where it's almost like how Vice was, where it's like, I know the story generally, you know, 9 11 was a very like Kennedy assassination kind of moment. Like when you're our age or, you know, at least old enough to understand, like, the, the repercussions of a terrorist attack of this scale. Like, you remember where you are, where you were. 
Sure. And, you know, that was a big reason why I started getting into politics was to, like, understand that and mm-hmm. so that I could intelligently criticize or, like, engage in Yeah, it did happen at an age where we were definitely, like, you know, yeah. just, just starting to be able to be interested in politics at oh, all. So I, it kind of vaulted us, I bet. Because you were, what, sophomores and freshmen in high school, probably, yeah. when that happened? And mm-hmm. I was a senior in high school. Yeah. yeah remember that day, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, you, you kind of know the story. Um, you know that there were some fuck-ups. But man, the the if if it's true, which you know it deals with the FBI and CAA, so there's kind of a sure, kind of not sure if this is fictionalized to a larger degree than they're representing. But if this kind of cold shoulder shit was going on from the CIA, even though they had their reasons, um, it's frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I'm not sure if the alternative is better to have all of all of the intelligence committees under one roof. But it's not like it's doing any good these days anyway. Um, but yeah, watch Looming Tower. So far, so good. Um, Hulu. Yep, reason to, reason to pay for Hulu so you don't have to watch ads. Uh, the other show that I've been watching, I forget the full title of it, um, came out today. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't in work, and uh, I turned on Netflix after watching the homework that we're going to talk about. Um, <clears throat> so the other show that I watch is a Netflix original. Um, it is called, uh, Love, Death and Robots. Never heard of that. It came out today. Wow. What's... It is a, an animated, uh, mature rated anthology series executive produced by Tim Miller, director of Deadpool wow. and David Fincher. So, it is a really interesting menagerie of animated shorts. Um, some of them are really cool. Some of them are not that great. Um, but it's kind of buzzy right now because it's like TVMA, like hard fucking MA. Um, wow. One of the, I mean, there's like, I feel like people are pulling their dicks out just to like justify being part of this series. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but there's, you know... Adult content and language and themes, um, nudity, like yeah, oh yeah, and the uh, and the animation. Chris showed me a little bit of it. I mean, it's if you saw it on a like small TV from eight feet away, you would not know it was animated. Yeah, and it's done by different animation studios. It's with crazy, d- different styles for for them uh-huh. uh, because each animation studio doing whatever. They're different, you know, di- written by different. If this isn't like a Charlie Brooker thing, right? Where he like kind of has control over all of it basically, and then, you know, people kind of operate within his universe. It's all, like, original stories told within uh, their own self-contained universes. Um, So, there are a few of them that are, I think, really good, that I I enjoyed a lot. Uh, One of them is called Suits, and it's it's this more cartoony... Suits, bro. (laughs) Like a... Almost like the Walking Dead video game style, like cell shaded ish. Yeah. Um, about like farmers who have to deal with a um, like these portals opening and aliens coming out, so they have these like mech suits. Yeah. Um, and the other one is that I really liked is called Witness, and that is my favorite animation of all of them. It mixes styles like Spider Verse did. Where it's, like, kind of cartoony, like, 
like cut in. She'll knock on a door and it'll say like knock knock. Right. Um, but a uh, an exotic dancer witnesses a murder and the murderer sees her across an alleyway between two apartment buildings. And it's all about her like running away from him. Um, but they're all set in these like future scapes or they have some element of like te- technology involved. Uh, but they're really good stories, uh, each of them. Um, the first one really sets the tone for it. It's basically like real steel. Uh, the movie it sucked, uh, where, you know, two people compete, but they're like neurally linked to these creatures, uh, but instead of robots, they're like creatures. And so, you know, they talk about this woman who's like a badass and she's, uh, you know, has this like terrible past and they already, in the first like five minutes of this anthology, they start talking about how like, oh, I was beaten up and raped and my skull was crushed. So it's like, all right, well, this is a completely different tone than what you would expect from like a cartoon series on Netflix. Right. right? Um, but it's really good. Uh, I read one criticism, which I kind of agree with, that some of them in there are weak and there's like 28 of them. Uh, oh, wow. That's quite the anthology series. Yeah. yeah. Ranging from like six minutes to um, like 20 minutes. No longer than 20. Huh. So I watched like 13 of them today. I wonder if multiples could be nominated. Yeah. I mean, I, next year. I definitely think, I mean, there's there's one sci-fi one where the graphics look like what Mass Effect wants to be. And it's this cool space story about, you know, a hyperspace jump that goes wrong. And it's just like incredible graphics. It's got like a great reveal. Um, it's a lot of fun. And if that were like up against shorts, the animated shorts that I saw, like, I don't know how many of those I would place ahead of it. I still think the bow is better, but these have a much darker tone to them. So it's kind of hard to compare. Which is fun. and something that animated shorts are usually missing. Yeah. Um... But yeah, so if you want to watch animated Black Mirror with lots of uh, boobs and dong and bush uh, and all the swears, uh, this is the show for you. And it is called? It is called Love, Love, Sex, and Robots. Sorry, Love, Death, and Robots. Love, Death, and Robots. Love, Death, and Robots. Now, how much robot bush is there? (laughs) So there's one one story that's like kind of drawn from an old Japanese folktale about like women of the mist of the mountains and how there were men basically like a succubus story analog with Japanese culture. But then it kind of follows through to like, and then, you know, the British like colonists were, uh, you know, like required that we like come and be laborers for them. And then this like one woman who's one of these foxes, like Fox spirit ladies comes with them. And, uh, you know, I don't care about spoiling like a five minute short. Well, I do, and I feel bad because it's not out yet. But there is Robot Bush at some point. Yeah, <laughs> um, get to the good stuff. Yeah, cool. But it's all there. <laughs> cool. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, but yeah, so if you you've got a, a taste for the macabre, uh, then you'll probably enjoy it. And the animation is the 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 way that the styles change per short is really refreshing because about the time that you're like tired of the plot or the animation or you know you're gripped and just want more uh you know it, it cuts and moves to the next one so it's neat nice check it out I wrap up the watch list that's yeah. uh that's two netflix series we recommend yeah, yeah. but steven spielberg says they're trash so 
Just real quick before we move on from watch list, uh, you mentioned it, and I completely forgot to include it. I watched uh, Deadpool two last week. Oh, nice. Had not seen it. I had not seen it. No, it's good. I really liked it. Yeah. I think I actually might like it more than the first one. Oh, I wouldn't say that at all. The but, uh, yeah, it's good. I think the first one was more fun for the novelty of seeing like that sort of style of a movie in with a superhero, like a like yeah. getting to see an R rated irreverent. Uh, but I actually, I think I like the story more. I fucking hated the story of Deadpool 2. Oh, really? Nice. I couldn't really tell you about it outside of like, oh, Cable's not bad? There are, well, I mean, Cable's doing the time travel thing of he's just trying to stop whatever events led to his family dying. And so he, he kind of takes some guesses. Yeah. And, and you know... He comes back to kill the person responsible for them. Yeah. For it, but... Most of those guesses align him against Deadpool, and then right. in the end he realizes, oh, well, if I actually work with him, it might prevent it, as opposed to, you know, trying to fight him and kill him. Yeah. But, anyway, it was, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about some, some reality TV we've been watching? We I can. Think we do. Yeah, it's been a while since we've mentioned, uh, since we've rounded up Yeah. the reality. Well, I want to just say quickly, I didn't watch the finale of Top Chef. But Top Chef has been pretty good this year. This is a good year. It's set in Kentucky. I don't know if we've talked about it before. A little bit. Um, but so it's kind of an interesting choice, but they go places with it. And the best thing they do with this season is they go to China for the last no, like <laughs> for the last six contestants. They go to China and they make people like like go to the market in China and like cook with those ingredients, even though they don't know what they are. Fun. Um, and that's a lot of fun. Like chefs like learning. Basically, like, starting over. That was um, the whole, like, cool thing about Top Chef years ago when it started. Yeah. Um, but Top Chef's been good. Uh, the challenge uh, has been good. I've talked about that before. I won't rehash it again. Um, but the... Uh, Kelly has me uh, watching because she talked to uh, your uh, beloved, uh, Brent. And uh, so Kelly has been watching Siesta Key, um, which I'm convinced is not a reality show. I've never heard of that. I mean, I've heard of Siesta Key. I've been to Siesta Key. <laughs> That's but... why Kelly's been watching it. Okay. Um, but uh, that show is trash. Place is not interesting. I feel like that has to be manufactured trash, too. Like, manufactured drama. Because I've been to Siesta Key. It's just old people having lunch. Yeah. On Siesta Key. <laughs> like, it is not... They just have lunch 24 hours a day. All Siesta day. If, yeah, you go in at 11 o'clock. You want a sandwich and a... You know, like a pop, soup, a soup. Yeah, <laughs> soup. There's a I have a soup and drink. <laughs> there's a guy who's cousins of the main character, and I say character because like there's no fucking way this is a reality show. This is, I feel like this is like The Hills or Laguna Beach, where it's like yeah. MTV never says it's not a reality right. show, but they make you think it could be just actors, yeah, not being themselves. Um, but there's this guy who's like a real piece of shit who's the cousin of the quote-unquote main character. Uh, and in the first episode of the second season, he punches some guy in the face for being there um, is his actual reason. Um, and I was like, why isn't this asshole in jail now? And every time I see him on screen, I'm like, he's going to jail this episode. He's going to jail this episode. And then randomly he's like, calls his friend who's like, hey man, I, uh, there's a warrant out for my arrest. And it's like, well, no shit. You punch people for physically being places. If they didn't write this in, then you would be an unbelievable character. Um, but anyway, 
He was like, turn on your rocket ships. <laughs> Get out of there. But so, in descending order of the three shows that no one else watches, I would recommend Top Chef. <laughs> Very close behind, I would recommend The Challenge. And do not watch Siesta Key. Got it. Uh, but for shows that I do watch, uh, Survivor's been Survivor. Uh, it's, it is too early to really know for sure how a season's going to go. But for three, wait, four episodes? Four. Four episodes. Uh... It's been pretty bad so yeah. far. I wasn't bored at all by the last episode. Yeah, it's it's it's. They they are in a ratings crunch, which is why for the first time ever in my DVR of it, it included a and you can't wait to see what happens next in the biggest <laughs> twist in Survivor history. <laughs> and it was like the biggest twist was just like oh, like the odds were weird where everyone stayed on their own tribes yeah. after they split into three tribes. That's just. Real bad luck for the show, too. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of uh, thing. We're going to get to the merge, and there's going to be, like, four or five people that have never been in trouble. Yeah. Who and don't know each other. And yeah. they're people that we don't know, really. Like, yeah. I was telling Al... We haven't seen them play. I was telling Al last night. We're recording this on Friday. I was telling him, so this was Thursday, the night after the show aired. I said, there are, there are at least five people on this show, still on it, that I knew more about them before it started, based on Al... In our my podcast that we uh-huh. did, where he told me, kind of, he gave me a little rundowns of everybody. I had a better grasp of who uh, some of these people were. I knew their names better than I know them now. Yeah. Because yet, despite watching four episodes of this season, I can't tell you the first thing about Aurora. Who is that? I've never heard that name before. Right. I mean, we, have, we haven't seen confessionals from like four people. Right. There's two people with almost the same name. I've Aurora and Barora? No, that would be great. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, it's, it's like Laura and Lori or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not even. It doesn't matter because I don't feel like I'm forgetting anything that's been shown to me on television. So that's bad luck for the show, and some of the cast has been real shitty. All the winning from one side has made the winning side ignored. Yeah, yeah. So we have a great feel for the tribe that keeps losing, but they suck. Have- because they're not building any relationships, I feel like. It's just Wentworth rolling her eyes and goes, Ugh, hey, man, who's going next? Do it for me. David and Devers were the only, like, actual pair, and that's gone now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Wendy is the best agent of chaos. I think Wendy's she is so... I can't believe they let somebody on the show who has no urge to win the game. I love that moment when David looks at her and is like, Don't you want to win? She's like, Yes, I want to win. He's like... No, you don't. He's like... You don't. Okay. She's lying. Yeah. Yeah, that's I don't know. That's why I I think she's a lot of fun to watch. Like I sure. know that as like a Survivor fan, you're probably sitting there pounding your armchair going. No, like, she makes she's genius. the best TV that they've had so far. She's the only TV they've had so far. Well, after Reem was gone, Reem well, the only controversial. But she's not gone, so she's still on TV. Oh no, I know, I know. <laughs> I was gonna say that when Brent was talking about how like there's six people who we don't know anything about, people whose names we've never heard. Yeah, and we're still keeping players who are gone now. Yeah. So, like, there's even less of a chance that we will ever know them. The big thing this show's doing bad with this season so far is not telling us what the fuck the island is. Well, yeah. I don't know what to think about it. I can't form an opinion on it if I don't know what it is. I think it's sort of trying to put us in their place, which is just, like, it. they're just having to exist out there. That's and the dumbest shit, if that's their actual reason. If they're going to keep these people around, they need to, like, cut back to that like it's another tribe. They need to show us like how like they're doing in the middle of day ten, and then they do the elimination, and then cut back to them like in the middle of day eleven, 
just like keep us updated. Don't just give us like one info dump that's two minutes long at the beginning where it's just Reem going like everyone fucking hates you because you voted all of us that out. That shit was so annoying. Because that's Reem. always going Both to be the them. case. Yeah. Also, like Reem, you get you, this. You got a second chance in this game, and you're doing the same shit you did at yeah. the tribal council before if, they voted you out. If, if, if Chris was 100 percent right too, where he was like. I don't know what the rules are out here, so I'm just going to keep everybody fed and happy. Yeah, Chris has the potential to uh, make, some, make something <laughs> Because what's going to happen is they're going to come back and just be like, you'll have to vote one person to go back into the game. And they're going to be like, well, fuck you, Reed. Yeah. <laughs> you piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's going to be the first person to lose the game twice in one season. <laughs> I just don't know how I'm supposed to watch that part of the TV show. Because if that's what they're trying to do, they're doing a bad job. It's been handled clunkily. I, I did a, a motion to TJ with with your eyes. <laughs> like it's it's a TV show. You can't even like. Yeah, they're hungry. I will say you just tell me that this yeah. week had one good piece of editing, which was the uh, Ron the the flashback to Ron's conversation. I thought that was kind of cool. Oh yeah, they rarely yeah. do that where it was like twenty minutes earlier. Right. Um. But still, oh, they did that with Wendy too when she stole the flint. Oh, where yeah. they they, they, sh- they where they like N- there's no way she could steal the flint and then it shows her on the beach in the confessional going I stole the flint <laughs> I got it, a flint and then it said 30 minutes earlier and it showed her like taking it off the tree yeah yeah she's so dumb too like sorry Wendy if you're listening <laughs> that'd be weird but like every time she does something just to c- continue to say like though I knows I did it is great but how crazy is it that she's like a challenge beast. She's a she was swimming faster than Joe. Yeah, she's like hauling ass. She's the first one up the up both walls. She's hauling people over it. She solves the fucking gets David to move out of the way so she can solve the puzzle. Yeah, like clearly you can well, eliminate try to solve the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. Clearly you can eliminate her for either of those reasons. But I think it's worth noting that like if they're in the tribe phase and they're like we need to get rid of Wendy, someone should be like she has really good in challenges. I don't know. The Wendy window, I think, is closing soon, too. For, yeah. Because, uh, no, I mean, the Wendy's going to get voted out window is closing fast. Yeah. Because I think there are... Oh, she's just going to take it the end. There are 13 people in that game right now who are looking at her as their golden ticket. Right. For a million dollars. <laughs> like, I absolutely want to be sitting next right. to this crazy person. Yeah. At the end. Problem is, she's lied about everything so far. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's hard to... Buddy up with somebody who's just going to continue to lie. That moment where she's talking about how she ate chicken at home, but refuses to eat chicken when she's starving it on an island because she now sees the chicken. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it. Everybody looks at her and they're just like, oh man, she can't win. <laughs> I can win. <laughs> yeah. Well, she'll have a good outlast argument. She'll go, people wanted me to go home since day one and uh, here I am. That's true. <laughs> day yeah. 40. Man, she was like, they're never going to know I did it. And they're like, the chickens are gone. Let's go catch them. And she just goes, no! <laughs> it's like, well, it's obviously fucking you Oh, now. my God. That edit with, with Chris. <laughs> now, who, it wasn't Chris, but it was someone who's sitting there. I think it's the firefighter. Eric, yeah. maybe? I don't He's know so his, pissed. I don't know his fucking name. He's like, if I see one of those chickens, I'm going to catch it. And then you just hear like, the chicken clucking <laughs> right off screen. He goes, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, those chickens. Those chickens are going to fucking die immediately out in the jungle. That's the dumbest shit. It's like, yeah. Like, our friend Sarah has a goose in her front yard. It's been there for a decade. It doesn't go in the woods because it's fucking scary out there. <laughs> for a defenseless bird. 
But yeah, the the season has been frustrating because um, I feel like four episodes in, you should have in almost any season you would have you would know who the winner. Like you don't know that they're going to win, but you should know who the winner is by this point. So mm-hmm. I feel like they're already a third of the cast that we can just cross off as they're not winners of this game. Oh, for bad at it. Yeah, I mean it's just we're not seeing anybody's story. Yeah, like, we we're not getting a feel for how uh, the aforementioned Aurora for what her survivor journey is. Right. And I cannot envision a season in which Aurora wins this game because that doesn't make sense from an editing standpoint. Like that SNL skit for a few years ago where they're like, is this a brand new cast member or a member of Arcade Fire? Y'all remember that? <laughs> they just bring in like three like dirty people wearing like similar clothes. Like, which one's on Survivor right now? I'd be like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't pick Wynn Butler out of a lineup. Uh, the... Uh, the weird thing to me is that they spent a lot of time talking about David and Devins's relationship, which makes me think ahead of time that Devins is definitely coming back. That he is coming back back from the Extinction Island, and now I should just not care about the Extinction Island because, like, they've talked so much about how like everyone loves him. He's great yeah. to have at camp. Like he's hilarious. Like he lifts everyone's spirits. Same with like the dancing guy in the other camp. Ron, yeah. Yeah, he's where he's like, we decided that we need to like lift our spirits, so we just dance all the time. Or like Pippi Longstockings. I feel like those are three people on now two and a half camps who I remember. Victoria, the red-haired girl, is that you're talking sure. about? Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I just agree with you when you say names, because I literally... Is that who you mean by the, like, the red-haired girl is Pippi Longstockings? Yeah. With the, okay. The one who looks like Pippi Longstockings. That's the only one I know the name of, too. Of, that's not on the tribe that was just a tribe. Or a returning. Yeah. Yeah. And even still, Aubrey. I like Aubrey. Yeah. Yeah. But Aubrey's good. Victoria's the one who was talking about Joe while Joe was trying to collect crabs yeah. three feet away from her. <laughs> yeah. She's like, stupid. So Joe and Aubrey are together, and Ron's just like, yeah. Um, uh, that's <laughs> not the worst part. Joe goes, Joe. what? And she goes, Joe and, uh, Joe and Aubrey are together. It's like, I'm Joe! <laughs> Why are you talking? I'm, you should know me. I'm the one who's played this game twice. I was talking before. to Al about it. He was like, do you think she knew it was Joe, though? And I was like, no, I'm 100% sure she didn't. You know how I know? Because I'll go up to Chris and be like, Chris, TJ's going outside. That'd be weird. <laughs> That'd be like, which TJ? <laughs> yeah. Go up to Chris and be like, what are Chris and Kelly doing later? That'd be fucking dumb. Nobody talks like that. She didn't know who Joe was yet. But... Can't falter. I don't know half the people on the show. <laughs> yeah. I have learned one other name. Gavin is the uh, skinny young kid who hangs around with the firefighter a lot. I like Gavin. I, do, I like the duo of Gavin and Eric pretty well. Um, I think they could have... And I actually think they might be the team, the players from that tribe who might have the best shot in the game because they're players we've actually seen talking strategy. Yeah. And going on walks together. And they're, and they're strong enough... But not the biggest targets. Mm-hmm. And they've got that, that built-in duo. Right. And they seem well-liked. Right. So. I got real annoyed at... Uh, Just describe Lauren. Lauren. Super pretty athletic girl oh. who was at Tribal. Yeah. Being like, I know I'm not eating and I'm sick, but I'm not weak. <laughs> it's like, nah, you're weak. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe they didn't vote her out. Like, if there was a true standstill where they were like, we can't decide who we want to send home... Which is what they let on. Yeah, but that wasn't. No, they 
Wentworth played the hell out of that, yeah. I think. Was, she was like, I want David gone, but I want that shield there, so I'm going to just send his friend home. Right. Yeah, I mean, Went- Wentworth, Wardog, and Jessica are a trio. They've been a trio. Yeah. We saw that when Chris went home. Yeah. When Chris went to Wardog and went, hey, I've hatched this plan. The one where he didn't want to sell out David, which sucks for him, because the- then he went home. Right. Uh, well, Wardog did go tell. But that's what I mean. The, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I, if my first reaction was that Wardog made the wrong call, but at the same time, I really want to hear his, like, I'm sure in the next episode we'll hear his rationale for sending... Uh, Rick home, um, because uh, Wardog has done a good job of explaining his strategy this season, like mm-hmm. why he why he wanted to keep Wentworth around was in case of a tribe swap to keep a, a shield there, and he's been solely responsible for the last three people leaving the island. There. Yeah. He is in danger of having too much agency. Yeah. in the game, so I, think, he, I still think he's going to lose his shit a little bit when he doesn't get his way. Dude. He needs yeah. to. He needs to dial it back slightly. Kind of Carl last season. He's voted for all four people, and three of them were his idea. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I do like though. We, we Kelly and I make fun of like, why is he going to war dog? But then it's, it's the officer Sarah argument. It's like you've got all these people like Rick. And Jessica and Kelly and Joe and David, but Kelly's smart enough that she goes by Wentworth, even though there's not a second Kelly on this season. And I don't know Wardog's real first name. Is it also Rick? Is that why they called him Devons and him Wardog? I don't know, but it's uh, so I don't think so. I think Rick's the only Rick there, but I forget. Wardog may have a name that is similar to someone. Yeah, but that's like that's fucking branding. And what what you do on Survivors, you sell yourself. And so I, I do know that Probst sometimes vetoes that shit. Really? Yes. Like people request to be called things, uh, and Probst is like, "Yeah, I'm not doing that." Uh, Wendy wanted to be called Big Wendy. Okay, that's why she's got the Big Wendy necklace. Yeah, people, people on the island call her Big Wendy. I don't hate that. I yeah. don't either. But like, I wouldn't if I was Probst in this era. I would be like, no. <laughs> but uh, you know, sometimes if other players bring it on. Uh, Kelly became known as Wentworth because there were two Kellys on her right. season. Um, and she was, her first season she played, she played with her dad, so there were two Wentworths, so it's just sort of a, a, a word that's easily, yeah, comes to mind for her. But, um, but yeah, there definitely, I think, I think there was talk at the beginning of Heroes, or of uh, David versus Goliath that uh, Nick wanted to be called Kentucky. And... <laughs> Uh, basically, everyone who heard that shut it down immediately. Like, yeah, we're gonna call you Nick. Your name's Nick. Yeah, you're the only Kentucky. person from Kentucky. Yeah, <laughs> so. call me Georgia. Let's call all of us Georgia. <laughs> he started off that game real bad. It I got, got really good by the end. We're running out of time, and I've got I've got survivor questions. Okay. So first off, I'll pick this up off of the Rob has a website series of podcasts. Yeah, Rob has a podcast series of websites. Yeah, and uh, somebody. Took a screenshot of Aubrey's idol page. Yeah. And it says this idol loses or this idol can lose its power when you're when you when you're voted out of the game. Mm-hmm. Okay. So does that mean do you think Aubrey might be like Oh. Maybe. Possibly. I think I, cause she's super smart. And you know she's read that thing twenty five fucking times. Oh yeah. Um, she is smart. She's also this is her third time playing. She's yeah. never now. Granted, she's never held one of those before. Right, but she knows that, that Redemption Island has been a thing before. She might think that that it, Edge of Extinction is a Redemption Island kind of scenario. The the thing that I don't know if anybody on a podcast has 
notice this until right now as you're listening to it. But, uh, yeah, um, we are breaking story. But I also wonder if she and Joe will notice that there aren't as many reward challenges this year. Yeah. And that there's not as much generated content from the normal game for television. Yeah. So I would think after like 10 days of there not being a, of combining reward with immunity at the mm-hmm. beginning, if either one of them would be like, what are they showing? Because she's a super fan too. She's she's on the Rob stuff a lot and she knows. Mm-hmm. She's yeah, a very, survivor historian. Yeah, yeah, big, big fan. And so you, you wonder if they're going to think at some point, like, well, first off, Joe picked it up in the first episode, which was, he asked somebody, he was like, Edge of Extinction. He's like, what do you think that is? Like, right. every season has a has theme. Everybody thing. knows what they're doing. Either that, or it's just like, Survivor Philippines. Where right. And so far, they don't have a theme. The yeah. people who aren't vetted out, they're just like, this is just Survivor? Also, like, if you watch David vs. Goliath, and you think that, well, for there to be an Edge of Extinction season, like... That one where there was constant monsoons and their shelters were being destroyed all the time. Like, if it was going to be something Edge of Extinction, they might go closer to that level where they make them move camps or something. Also, the last few people vetted out were very just like, like, grabbed their torches and just kept walking. They yeah. like barely stopped. Yeah, they're like, well, of course I'm going to keep playing this game for a million fucking dollars. Well, yeah, everybody should keep playing, but I'm just saying there it's wasn't. Like, case you quit. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing I was thinking is like, you have a season like David versus the Goliath. David versus Goliath. I'm going to say this without slurring. Where as soon as that banner unfurls, David versus Goliath, Jeff Probst stood on the boat and fucking talked about the theme of the show and talked about the theme of the show constantly during challenges, right? Constantly during tribal council. This time. And now he hasn't mentioned a word of it after saying, "And welcome to Survivor: Edge of Extinction." Right. And that's it. So you have to expect the castmates are like castaways, whatever, are sitting there going like, "What, like what? Is, like it has it has to be Redemption Island. They must think that there has to be Redemption Island." So here's my follow up though. I know you can't once you're vetted out. Once Jeff snaps your torch. Well, not even that. Once he says like, you know, the, the fifth person voted out of Survivor is yeah. Aubrey. She's still got an idol in her pocket. She cannot then give that idol away. Once she's decided that she's going home, she's done playing. That game. Yeah. Right. I also know that she could leave it at camp and tell Joe, hey man, that's my idol. It's buried here. If I get voted, if I get voted out, out, it's yours. I know she can do that and just not take the... I wonder if she does know that there might be a chance she leaves and comes back. Can she literally just sit on her idol at travel, not playing it, and just be like, Joe, if I get blindsided, I'm just going to get up and go. Yeah. And there's an idol sitting here. Like, what kind of transferability it has. Right. Because, like, does that count? Or... It usually, it no, you can give it to whoever you want at any point. You can I make think. any deal you want, from what I've read. Well, so there have been... I mean, other than the one-time, non-transferable fine print. But they right. fuck themselves because there's precedent for that. If it doesn't say it's non-transferable, then it obviously is. It is transferable. Um, so I just I don't know if you can just... I think they would honor that deal. What if you wrote out, like, a survivor will... That, like, as soon as you got to the island, you started making deals, and then you're like, I'll put it in my survivor will. So if I do get voted out, well, it has to be witnessed things. by producers, is what I read. Oh, what does? The like, deals for idols and stuff. Because you can't, I can't just, like, if you leave your oh, idol right. in your bag, I can't go take it and play it. And be like, and, and be oh, like, he, he said it He gave it to me, now he's... Right, so the producers have to see the deal get made to be able to honor it. Yeah. So, I wonder if she just did that with Joe. Like, just in case I get blindsided, I'm going to leave the idol in my stool. Grab it yeah. as soon as I 
get up. I don't know why she'd cover her idol in poop, but <laughs> to each their own. That makes sense. Good, not <laughs> good, good same poop joke. Good, good joke. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, breeze through, well, breezy. Yeah. What kind of news we got? Well, James Gunn. Yeah, reinstated as director of Guardians of the Galaxy three. Yep. What was he uninstated for? Uh, old old tweets. Old tweets that were sexist and homophobic. Seems like the parent parent company uh, has learned their lesson after the Kevin Hart and the James Gunn debacles. Yes. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I, I don't know what what well, else. To I'm do. happy about it because the first one was way better than the second one. Yeah. So I don't know how to editorialize this without saying like good. Yeah. You know. We have to recognize that people change. I'm not saying that means that we should forgive them, but it means that we should give them the opportunity to learn from that. Well, also, we need to stop punishing people for tweets 10 years ago if we're not going to punish comedians in the current time period. Right. And zero sense. It it always seemed like overkill of a response to it. Like, why didn't they, you know, I would think that if if they wanted to respond to that after the story broke, then, you know, maybe something to do would be for, uh, you know, to put his fee towards, his director's fee towards something... Good for the future, instead of punishing someone for the past, for the pretty distant past. Right, or 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 you have him like, you 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 talk to him and say like, hey, like we really don't like to be found these te- these tweets that are homophobic. Like, will you commit some of your your money to like Tyler's fund? That's Which, what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're like, obviously Disney is making the decision not because they're morally outraged as a company that was founded by somewhat of a, a Nazi. Like, they have their own history of bad tweets, if you want to call sure, them that, yeah. that we should all take a look back on and not forget, but learn. And then to take a director who, in 2007, was tweeting shit out that, was, that they find so morally reprehensible they're going to lose them. No, Disney looking at it as like, this is bad for our dollars. That's mm-hmm. all they care about. Right. They're a corporation. They have shareholders. He also wasn't... I don't think he was tweeting anything... He was tweeting things that were in poor taste. Like yeah. Like, jokes in poor taste. Not like, hey, everybody meet me at the Klan rally this weekend. Right. Something he was, like that. The hotel showers, the weakest ever. Felt like a three-year-old was peeing on my head. Yeah. Like, poor it's, taste. Yeah. It's not yeah. like Liam Neeson shit, where he was like, I was walking up and down the street looking for black people to beat up. Like... You know, these yeah, are, it's, it's 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 bad tweets. It's bad tweets, and he's he's a comedian. That's that's who he is. He's You're a comedy writer. And a some comedian. bad jokes out there. Yeah, yeah. So, and there are comedians that are currently doing that. that are acting. That's what I don't get. It's yeah. like since it was old, is he he's ashamed of it? We caught him. Right. So let's fire him. You well, know what I mean? It makes me think of I, I like Tom Segura, who's a comedian who has a podcast, which is you know either starting to get huge or is huge now. It's called Your Mom's House. And they had a brand deal, a $3.2 million deal with McDonald's. And they had a, another like million dollar deal with Morton Steakhouse. And they lost both those deals. And that makes sense. Yeah. Because if you're an ad agency and you're saying, 100%. you represent my brand now. Like, yeah, if they're playing like audio clips of porn and you don't want that to be the, you know, I'm loving it. Then, like, I get it. You can pull for literally anything. I don't give a shit. Right. Like, but that's that's the opposite. Right. That is the exact. You are you are firing somebody whose creative direction led you to the success of what you have because of something that they did that they don't do anymore. Right. Like, 
every comedian or every actor who was an alcoholic isn't getting shit because they're drunk. Right. Because they're not anymore. And we have to, like, collectively understand that people change. Right. Uh, I just ran across this headline, um, which I found interesting. What Rotten Tomatoes is still trying to fix their uh, user scores. Yeah. Um, it's about a month ago they announced that uh, they weren't going to let anybody review a movie before the movie was in wide release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now they are considering trying to introduce some sort of uh, system which makes you confirm that you have actually seen the movie and prove that you have seen the movie in some way. Uh, they are owned by Fandango, Rotten Tomatoes is, mm-hmm. so there's there's thought of uh, maybe only letting users submit scores who have bought a ticket through Fandango. Hmm. Good, I was tired of Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why... Their, their website is useful as a as a critic aggregator. Right. Not... I don't know why anyone would... I don't ever look at the user scores. I never look at it either. I have a fix for it. Why don't they only tabulate audience scores... Once pre once the pre release screening start, or even wait until the wide release starts. Yeah, I don't know why they just don't wait. And then for critics, just make those open whenever, and then do a better job at picking your top critics. True. Yeah. I mean, I think the critics. I are actually, fine. yeah, I, I think the one thing that sadly they've taken away. They once had this feature was that you could pick your own critics for you to see the scores. Uh, yeah. That way, if you don't want to see what Rex Reed of the New York Observer or whatever wants to say, because he's an idiot, and right. whatever he wants to say about a movie, you can weed that out, like his negative review of Black Panther or whatever, for, or like, for whatever reason. Like Hopper McChandler from the Tallahassee Bee, who's like, well, I drove into the city, and I think that Black Panther movie's got too many blacks and not enough Panthers. It's like, well, I don't want to read your fucking review, even right. though you are the like movie critic. For your paper. Also. There was a good read one where he got somebody confused with somebody else. Do you remember that one? Yeah. I wish I knew what that was. He, he got somebody confused. Guillermo del Toro? It's Shape of Water review. Oh, it was Guillermo del Toro. He got him confused with somebody else, though. And then went on to bitch about shit the other guy had done. <laughs> the whole review. Was it Benicio del Toro? Yes. That's what it was. <laughs> and then he was like, Benicio del Toro was also in these shitty movies last year. Like, he totally three-stepped his way into just <laughs> writing a review on Benicio del Toro's career. <laughs> and that's why Shape of Water sucks. <laughs> and then people called him out on it. He was like, I stand by it. Yeah. He's, he's a, like, he's so, a, I, so I messed up some names. I stand by it. He's a dumb... You didn't... He messed up a bio. Yeah. He's a yeah. dumbass. So, yeah, anyway, that's interesting. Yeah. I applaud them for trying to get rid of all the... Uh, uh, the crowd that hates Captain Marvel just because she's a woman. Right. Or the crowd that hates Alita Battle Angel because her eyes are too big. Yeah. Anyway. What to watch? <coughs> yeah. Do we uh, have a good idea of what's coming out? We do. Two movies. Cool. Hotel Mumbai. It's an Indian action thriller. Sequel to Hotel Rwanda. Yeah. We all know. The Last Marigold Hotel Rwanda Mumbai. <laughs> The greatest. The greatest last Hotel Rwanda. <laughs> oh, God. The grand. We're James getting ourselves real bad. James getting ourselves right in the foot. <laughs> or. You can go see, and you will go see, the new Jordan Peele movie, Us. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's Us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's easy. Uh, yeah, go see Us. <laughs> I knew it would be. And It's crazy that uh, Us is getting like Captain Marvel treatment, though. Because uh, they're like... I mean, not as bad, but they're, they are, like, Captain Marvel came out three weeks ago, 
So it's still going to be making millions and millions of dollars at the theater. Yeah. And his movie last year made a, or two years ago, made a shit ton of money with no stars. Yeah. Like, they're just expecting that to happen again. This one's got Lupita Nyong'o in it and the girl Moss. Yeah. Elizabeth Moss. Um, so. I, I, I will say, though, I think that, that maybe there is something to Jason Bloom and his business savvy, which is something that Disney has been doing. Which is, you know, we've always talked about how not the summer blockbusters and not the wide releases of Oscar movies, but there's this valley of movie quality that happens between, like, the end of January to about the month of May. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just smart marketing. I don't think that they... I mean, sure, maybe Us got moved to this weekend instead of last weekend to not compete against Captain Marvel. Maybe Marvel moved away from Us so that they could pull adults in to watch their movie with their kids, but I think that this is just smart a smart business move. I don't think that other movies are moving out of the way for them. It's just like bad Maybe. movies get released this time of year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean I do yeah. And I feel like there would be something coming out this weekend besides a foreign film. Sure. Yeah. But, but I mean but like yeah. last, last week there, probably a combo. there was trash opening up against Captain Marvel. Right. Like but there were still movies coming out. Right. Anyway, that's my armchair economist hypothesis. Coming from two people who have watched over 200 movies the past two years. Fuck, Most of them are garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot, a lot of great ones. A lot of movies, when we really get into it, that we see on streaming sites, when we're like, we need to watch more movies in like November, they came out in like March and April <laughs> when all the bad movies come out. Right. But Go see us. Uh... Uh, I think Brent's going a little vacay, but the rest of us will see it next weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, come see us. Uh, we've got... Uh, live. Live the... Live recording in about <laughs> ten minutes. We're going to record Thursday's show. Uh, House of Blues, Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be there. I think all the House of Blues is closed, finally. <laughs> That's why I feel safe doing that. Uh, we're going to be at CBGB's in New York. <laughs> yeah. But... Thanks out, well, that was it. That's Talk Talk, podcast for the media by us. You can uh, check out our website at the aforementioned website. You can uh, join the Facebook groups, TV by us, games by us, movies by us, where we can talk about any of those three topics, assuming you put them on the right board. And uh, you can email us, tweet, tweet with us. You know where to do. And last but not least, give us a rating and uh, subscribe to the podcast. And second last but not least is uh, a hearty thank you to the Willow Walkers for the intro music and to Boo for our lovely outro song. Thanks and bye. 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 Kicking rocks down old dusty roads Small town slowpokes long time ago Kicking out records of all the things that I know All the things that I know